Welcome to the Take Back Your Territory podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Wenland. I believe in doing work holistically, not just searching for the next thing to transform your outside. This is a faith-based podcast geared to help set you free and set you on your path to walk in victory in every aspect of your life. Check out the book, Food Freedom, a faith-based holistic approach to shift you from defeat to victory over emotional eating on amazon.com. Head over to the website, takebackyourterritory.com for more information on coaching, to sign up for the Friday newsletter, and to get your free guide, Create Your Plate. This will help you start eating in a more satisfying way. Now, let's get started. Welcome to episode 104 of the Take Back Your Territory podcast. My name is Lindsay Wenland. Thank you for joining me. Today's episode, we are talking about when eating turns into self-harm. If you have joined me before, if you've kind of seen me lately on social media, or if you have read the Food Freedom book, you know that some of the episodes that I'm recording lately, or most of the episodes I'm recording lately, are about binge eating, emotional eating, um, overeating. They're all to do with eating. (laughs) Being that it is just a couple days coming out of Christmas and we are in the final week of 2021, I'm wondering if many of you are wrestling with themselves and you're wrestling with Maybe choices that you've made previously, choices that you made over the holiday weekend, um, and then what choices you're going to make as we go forward. So the reason that we are talking about eating and self-harm is because this was a revelatory understanding um, that I had. So I used to use food as a coping mechanism. I used to use food as um, a way out, a way of escape, a way to numb my feelings and kind of curb my emotions and dissociate from my life. I personally also used it as a survival tactic um, that things in my life were sometimes really big and too hard. And maybe I didn't have the information, I didn't have the knowledge, and I didn't have the support for me at the time. And so I use food to pacify and um, as a coping mechanism. And if you have read the book um, in basically step one, um, which is chapter two in Separate Hunger, I talk about using food as a coping mechanism isn't necessarily unhealthy. What if at the end of the long day, you, you had a terrible day and you just... You sit down in front of the TV, just kind of dump yourself onto the couch and you eat a square of chocolate and you just chill. Would I personally consider that a binge or emotional eating? No. Would I consider that a coping mechanism? Yes. Sometimes just having that dopamine boost, um, just having that a little bit of rush to your brain can pick you up, can kind of set you right again and set you on your way. Um, Do I believe that using food rather than moving your body or rather than doing other things to boost that dopamine, do I believe that using food is the answer? No. 
Um, but generally what we talk about here is this line. And we have this danger zone. And we could potentially have this danger zone in any type of coping mechanism that we have. Let's think about running. So I am a former ultramarathon runner. I'm working on coming back to being a runner again. Um, and I can use running as a healthy coping mechanism. I get my breath going. I get my heart rate up. I get dopamine boost. Um, I can work through a lot of my emotional things. I can work through anger. I can work through sadness. And I can do it all within a half an hour or an hour. But this coping mechanism could also be used and turned on self-harm, where every time I had an emotion, I would lace up my shoes and run out the door. Or I would run and run and run and run and run and burn out my adrenals and burn out my metabolism and get so thin that I didn't have any body fat on my body because I was running so much. Messing up my hormones, um, and also running away from my life. Rather than standing, rather than facing, rather than sitting in the resistance of what's going on around me. Obviously, we know drinking can move into self-harm, can move into abuse. Um, our coping mechanisms all will have a danger zone. And when we make a good thing, our God thing, when we, when we take... God off the throne of our hearts and we put this other thing, this created thing on the throne of our hearts, that's when things get jiggy, that's when things get funny and we fall into self-harm. So stepping back, um, you know, we can even look at certain diets as self-harm. We can look at over-restriction as self-harm. We can look at being super manipulative and super controlling as with our food or with things in our lives that could technically be a form of self-harm. To the level that we come up into control is generally to the level that we are afraid of something or that, um, that we are living in fear of something. And so we have to control and we have to manipulate circumstances in order for things to go our way, right? So coming back into using food for self-harm, we can look at this as a, as a coping mechanism that could turn into abuse. I could see it that way and kind of having a buffer on things and making sure that we're still in balance and making sure that we're not in a ditch, that we're not turning to the right or to the left, but we are focusing on God, focusing on what he has told us, what he has spoken to us. Um, inviting the Holy Spirit into our emotions, inviting the Lord into our day, inviting him even into our food choices, and even allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us. Like, hey, God made our bodies with ghrelin and leptin, these amazing hunger and satiety hormones. And oftentimes, especially in emotional eating, we will push past these hormones and we will become leptin and ghrelin resistant to our where the signals are totally blunted or they're crossed. And even coming back into health and coming back into listening to our bodies and even coming back into our bodies and, and learning healthier ways of coping, please understand that this is a learning process, that we are practicing doing this, that we are in a progression, um, that the name of the game is always going to be consistency, 
rather than perfectionism. So when food turns from something that is good into something that is God, it can turn into self-harm. But on the flip side, if we actually look at self-harm, so I don't know, I don't know if you need to go and you need to have some time with the Lord or have some quiet time, have some time to journal. Um, but if you're here, you're here because you want freedom. You're here because there's a bondage somewhere that maybe food has been a taskmaster or your body has become a taskmaster or you're addicted. I don't know why you're here, but you know why you're here. So taking some time and getting kind of on your knees, getting kind of on your face with the Lord and wrestling with this thing is really the only way (laughs) that I've learned how to do things. I can't read a book or watch a movie or listen to a podcast and gather, I can gather knowledge, but in order for me to gather understanding and wisdom, which is knowledge applied, I actually have to work it out. I have to do it. I have to put things in action, right? And the first thing that I have to do is I have to check myself. And the ways that I check myself is I start asking myself questions. I start investigating. Um, I bring the Holy Spirit into as much as I can without going into a, a rebellious heart. And um, because I am a person of honesty and I am a person of authenticity, um, which also means that I have to be a person of vulnerability um, if I'm going to operate in those other things. So when eating turns into self-harm, let's say that you had a terribly long day, the worst day, and you come home and you dump yourself on the couch and you eat a piece of chocolate and you feel so much better. Or you don't. And you go back to the kitchen and you get more chocolate and then you get chips and then you get cereal and then you get peanut butter toast and then you get pizza. Or you just get a bag of chips and you just eat the whole thing. I don't know what your emotional eating or your binge eating thing looks like. Mine was everything. Everything that I could consume that was generated from a package is what I ate. So self-harm. Let's look at it. Self-harm points the finger back at yourself. It says it's your fault. Um, you're the reason, you're the failure. How could you do this? Self-harm looks like shame. It looks like fear. Um, and it points all the fingers at you. And instead of kind of rising above these accusations of the enemy or, or even accusations that we have inside of ourselves, we all have an enemy coming against us. We have the world coming against us. We also have our own internal saboteur. Um, And the voice of our saboteur can be from how we were raised. It can be from our parents. It could be from a friend who is no longer a friend. It could be from media. It could be from anywhere. And this is generally the voice that we have to rise above. And I talk about this in the book, um, about reframing your mind and, 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 and pulling down strongholds and pulling down bondages um, within your mind and then replacing with truth. 
we talk about the saboteur, we talk about the enemy and how he attacks us in our mind, that our brain is the battlefield. <clears throat> but what if our enemy is also ourselves? What if we don't know who we really are? What if we actually believe everything that the enemy is feeding us, everything that media is feeding us, and everything that our own saboteur, our own accuser, our own persona or part of our personality that, that poo-poos on everything that we try to do, the obstacle maker, the, the one that is standing in our way, the one that we can honestly believe holds the key to our freedom. What if we don't believe the truth about who we are? What if we take things to the limits and we abuse food and we abuse ourselves because that's what we were taught to do? The first thing that I want to say to that, if that's you, and this is going completely not where I planned on this podcast going, um, <clears throat> but if that's you who feels so ashamed and so down and in so much unbelief and in so much self-doubt because of the words that people have spoken over you, because of what you've seen in the world, because of maybe what a failed relationship spoke over you or maybe how you were raised or maybe you're allowing things from your past to continue to speak those things over you now the first thing I want to say to you is I'm so sorry I'm so sorry those things happened to you I'm so sorry that life dealt you those cards I'm so sorry that those words were spoken over you. I'm sorry that you've had it hard. I'm sorry that you've endured abuse. I'm sorry. Maybe you are a person that is so hard on yourself that you're so self-critical that you won't forgive yourself, that you won't let yourself go. And, and you bounce back and forth between failure and success and sabotage. Maybe you're afraid of success. Maybe you're afraid of failure. Maybe you are a person that every time you step up and you step out, something stands in your way and you back down. I'm sorry. I am hoping over the next few weeks into the new year that, and I'll pray about this later as we close, but I want you to be able to see your own humanity. I want you to be able to see that you were part of God's recovery mission just as much as I was. That even if you were the only person on the planet that sinned, that fell short, that God was, would still send his son Jesus. He, he would still live a perfect life. And out of love for the Father and love for you, 
he would still die on a cross and be raised again in three days. We are equals in the kingdom. He loves you just as much as he loves me, just as much as he loves my kids. And there's not a single thing that God has done for me that he won't do for you. The only thing that may be separating where you're at now and where I'm at now could just be one step. And that one step is you choosing to believe the best about yourself. Choosing to believe the word of God, choosing to believe the Bible, choosing to believe that you are a daughter, that you are a son, that you are beloved, that you are adopted. The first thing that I had to learn in order to be free was who I am in Christ. I had to know to the very root, the very bottom of my soul that God loves me. And there was nothing that a single person could have said, not a prayer, not a book, not a nothing, that anyone could have told me. I had to seek the Lord for him to heal those parts of my heart, those parts of my soul, those parts of my mind, where the enemy had so infiltrated and I became so bound and so helpless and hopeless that I was earning love with service. I was doing, I was striving, I was believing that I was in the will of the Lord because I was loving my neighbor. But I had no peace, I had no rest, I had no joy. And if freedom, freedom is freedom, but it is certainly not freedom if it is not attached to joy. Because when true freedom comes, whether it be from food, whether it be from shame, whether it be from a disease, whatever, when true freedom comes, the kingdom of God comes. And what does the Bible say about the kingdom of God? That it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I never could believe that joy was something that I could have. Because if you look at the first 36 years of my life, it was depression and anxiety and addiction and bondage and homelessness and abuse and, and, and suicidal ideation, like all the things. But joy was something I had to cultivate. And trust, trusting God, trusting and taking him at his word and believing in the character of who he is. I had to cultivate that. I had to work it out. I had to wrestle. I had to tell God, I don't believe that you're trustworthy, so prove to me that you are. I had to be honest. I had to be vulnerable. I had to be real. Sometimes we have to look at our chains and we have to stop 
telling them, I don't see you. You're not there. I'm not really chained. Sometimes we have to look at them and say, I see you. I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. But I I don't know how to get free. I don't know how to take you from my ankles. I don't know how to take you from my wrists. I don't know how to fix myself. I don't know how to walk this out. I need help. Sometimes we are so abused by man that we believe the things that they said were true for us. And we believe that God thinks the same things over us. And we project what man has done to us onto God. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm so sorry that you carry that pain, you carry that trauma, that you carry that. But you don't have to. You don't have to. So when we turn to food for coping and it leans into self-harm, It's because we are turning in on ourselves. It's because we don't know who we really are. It's because we've put our identity in what someone has said or what man has done or our successes or our failures. That's why this program has been built on the word of God, prayer, identity in Christ, and intimacy with the Father. We're not going to be able to go anywhere else and get truth. We're not going to be able to go anywhere else and get real healing. We're not going to be able to go anywhere else and get real and true freedom. Freedom so much so that joy is what bubbles up and peace is what stays. And righteousness, There's, there's something about this word righteousness and it was supposed to be my word for 2020. It was the word that I had assigned myself, righteousness. And in my notebook, in my Bible, I write the year and, and the word for every year since I got that Bible in 2015. And you can see that righteousness is scratched out for 2020 and the Lord said, you don't need righteousness you need to learn how to trust me. And over and over again in 2020, he proved to me that he is trustworthy. He protected me. He protected my family. My daughter had a life-saving surgery and then it slipped and she had the fix in 2021. I had to leave a church that I was growing up in, that I was becoming someone in, that I had an identity there, I had a job there. I had to leave that. I had to trust him. I had to sell a house that I worked very hard to get and and come to a place where I know no one. I don't agree with half of the things here but he knows better for me and I trust him. 
And I'm not saying that I just magically cultivated trust. I wrestled with the parts of me that didn't trust. The parts of me that the Lord was calling higher, that was calling out of mistrust, that was call, coming out of unbelief, was coming out of doubt, was coming out of old patterns and old mindsets that were put there by a father who left and a stepfather who abused. There was a root, there was a fear, and there was a lie implanted in me that I couldn't trust God because I couldn't trust man. There's something rooted in you. There's something that has attacked your very identity. It has come for your intimacy with the Father. It comes against your calling. It comes against your peace. It comes against your joy. And it most certainly comes against your freedom. And as believers and as men and women who believe in the Bible, who actually believe in Christ, that he is not some genie, that we ask whatever we want and he's going to give it to us without us doing some work. I know that Jesus said, ask anything in my name in the kingdom it shall be given to you. But it also says you're casting out demons and you're doing all these things, believing that you're doing it in his name. But he doesn't know you. Which then tells me that first we have to know him. First we have to get Jesus into these places of our, our, our hearts and our souls and our minds and our bodies. Where all of our unbelief and all of our doubt and all of our fear and all of the places where we turn on self-harm and where we sabotage and where we stand in our own way, where they can get rooted out. When eating turns to self-harm, it's because we're not believing better for us. We're not believing the best of us. We are allowing someone else to speak over us and provide us a false identity, a false truth. It becomes our false God. I remember I used to not take compliments. I used to brush everything off. And, and I was, you know, it was raised that way, whatever. I can say that. But I remember believing something about myself that I would never amount to anything, that I was never worthy of anything, and, and, and that, you know, how could God call, call me his kid because I'm such a sinner, right? It was that fire and brimstone stuff. And it felt like the Holy Spirit tapped me on my shoulder and he said, that's false humility. That's not real humility. And false humility is rooted in pride. Because what you're saying about yourself, your believing, is more true than what God himself says about you. And that's false. True humility knows who you are, what you're gifted with, 
that you are a servant, that you know you can't do this on your own, but also that God will show up for you because you're his kid and because he says so. So I was slipping and sliding all over this topic about eating and self-harm. And I wanted to give you, um, you know, five little things to do when it comes to self-harm and, and finding better coping mechanisms. But I think where this whole thing has led, I'm just allowing the Lord to put his finger on certain things. You have permission to grieve. You have permission to forgive yourself. You have permission to move on. You have permission to stop sabotaging. You have permission to tell the accuser to shut up. You have permission to stand up for yourself. Permission to create boundaries that keep you safe, that keep you well, that keep you healthy when your mindsets, in your in your soul, in your body. You also have permission to take God at his word and to throw off the things that don't match. You have permission to be completely honest with your creator because he knows you better than you even know yourself. I'm going to pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, I come before you as an intercessor, as a person standing in the gap for this listener, that you would remove the scales from their eyes, that when they look in the mirror, when they look at their life, when they look at themselves, that they will see the truth of who they are and who you are in them. Lord, open their ears to hear your Holy Spirit. Open their mouths to no longer speak death over themselves, over their lives, over their bodies, Lord. Bind their mouths that they no longer may speak curses, Lord, and open their mouths that they may speak life, that they may speak abundance, that they may speak health and wellness. I ask that you you point them in your word, that you give them the precious treasure of, you've already given us eternal life, Lord, but you also give, give us the precious treasure of your logos, but also your rhema word that causes a revelation in their minds, in their hearts, in their bodies, and in their lives, Lord, that they can see themselves as you see them in Christ. Beloved, son or daughter, with whom you are well pleased, Strengthen them as they stand up for themselves, as they set boundaries for themselves and they declare who they are. And give them the strength to give you permission of when they're being led into self-harm, when they're being led into believing lies and false identities, when they're being led by 
shame or fear. Your word says that you are a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, Lord. So illuminate where we're going, Lord. Advance your kingdom. Start with me. Start with them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. I hope you had a great holiday, a great Christmas with your loved ones. Um, and as you go into the new year, breathe more. <sighs> breath, this breath, this Ruach breath that we have is a gift. And there's so many lives, so many people's breaths that have been taken away. When I've been sick in the past and I feel like I can't breathe, I feel like my life is ending. And um, that's the scariest place to be. So just breathe and keep moving forward.